where we're going in this whole idea of relational theology is where the is where the society is taking us. So it's not surprising to me at all that we're thinking in these directions. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Intersection, a podcast that takes a real look at how race and relationships intersect. We will look at how our unique and diverse lives intersect with thousands of people on a regular basis, and how the gospel intersects with each facet and issue that we face. Join us as we look at how we can set our eyes on the life of Christ as a source of compassion for each of our relationships. Our hosts include Pastor Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Bishop Joey Johnson, Founder and Senior Pastor at the House of the Lord, and Pastor Coach Kemp Boyd, Co-Pastor at Garden City Church and Executive Director for Love Akron. Keep listening as we cross paths on today's episode of The Intersection. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Intersection Podcast. As always, I am here flanked by two of the best individuals that I know, um, and that is Bishop Joey Johnson, who is the founding pastor of the House of the Lord, and also Pastor Jeff Bogue of Grace Church. And we are glad to have back with us our guest, Dr. Daniel Hawk. Thank you so much all for being here, and Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, am I doing New good? Good holiday New season. Year. Good, good, good. So I, I don't want to venture too long into um, introductions and all this type of things because, man, we got a heavy, heavy topic to talk about today. Uh, most of you who've always followed us and tuned in to watch us, you know that, man, we have been talking about how do, how do we intersect one another well while Jesus intersects into our life and into our culture, our churches, and within our systems. And so we talked last week about this thought about relationality. Bishop Johnson, you brought this up during our time together. And so first off, help our audience to understand what is relationality as you have said it, and how does that play a role into the big audacious goal that you were telling me about the other day when we were on the phone? Sure. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, let me just apologize. I've got some sunlight on my shoulder and I don't know how to block it out. I got uh, blackout blinds and all kinds of stuff, but it's still seeping through. So that's the love of God you see on me over here. <laughs> um, <laughs> the um, Back in 1994, Jerry Porras and Jim Collins wrote a book called Built to Last. It's about clock building, not time telling. You might know that name from good to great uh, was one of their earlier books. And in the book, he talked about a big, hairy, audacious goal. Another way to talk about it would just be a miracle goal. And so at that particular time, I, I set this miracle goal for myself, and it's a miracle goal that'll probably never be achieved in my lifetime. It may never be achieved, but it's something worth working towards. And that goal is to change the concept of Christianity from reason-centered to relationship-centered. Um, the reason that's going to be so difficult is because America is uh, strongly enculturated towards this reasoning, enlightenment, Greek-oriented uh, perspective. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it is inappropriate for dealing with a Hebrew text and a Christianity that comes from a Hebrewistic mindset, logic, culture, language, all of that. And we attempt to... to pour it through the sieve of American rationality and wonder why we have the problems we have. I think even more importantly, what you asked me, having that um, that goal, uh, that big, hairy, uh, audacious, miraculous goal to change the concept of Christianity from reason-centered to relationship-centered. It's all about relationships. Um, and that's why my, one of my mottos is relationships to everything. God is a relationship. He created us in relationship and then undifferentiated Adam and Eve. Um, Christianity is a relationship. We are born into the family of God. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. It's about relationship. And in keeping with this particular podcast and what we've been working on, 
uh, one of the main issues of ethnicity and discrimination and all of that revolves around relationship and our inability to simply love one another. Pastor Jeff, um, outside of the anointing of God being on Bishop Johnson's shoulders, tell us um, <laughs> tell us your thoughts about this whole like miracle goal of changing the concept of Christianity from reason centered to relationship centered. Like, is there an agreement there? You like kind of like, hey, is it a both end or does it have to be an either or? Kind of delve into that a little bit for us. Um, well, on on a whole level, I would actually agree with that very strongly. I I uh, have worked on something for many years that I I call relational theology, um, and relational theology is simply looking at the scripture through. So theology is a knowledge of God or a construct of God, and and so I look at the scripture through a relational construct as opposed to what I would probably call an academic construct or, or uh, what, what Bishop called a, a construct of reason. So the word of God is not a academic book that is to be dissected and turned into principles and practices. It's a relational book in which God is revealing his heart and his mind supernaturally to humanity. And as we understand God's heart and mind, everything from his mercy to his justice, everything from his compassion to his wrath, right? We're, we're understanding the person of God and the, the complete fulfillment of him in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And then we're using that as the model or the target to model our own lives after God loving us so much that empowers us through his Holy Spirit to do that, etc. So um, I believe that very, very strongly. And I, and I think when you look at all of scripture and you, you take it from the concept, I, I tell people all the time, if I, if I could be God for a minute, what I, and I could change one thing in your brain uh, about your belief system. What I would change in your brain is that God loves you and he has your best interests in mind. Uh, he is your ally. He is trying to give you the, the best, uh, the, this abundant life that he died to give you, which includes our salvation. And then of course our life here on earth. If I can trust that relationally, so like I would trust my father, right? So I had the privilege of having a healthy father and a godly father and a loving father who was actually very strict and not easy on me. But because I trusted that he loved me and he had my best interest in mind, I would interpret everything he said and did and demanded of me through the lens of him loving me and having my best interest in mind. So when my dad looked at me, my dad was a factory foreman, and he looked at me in the mid 80s when industry was leaving the US and he said, you're going to go to college. And I'm like, what? How come you're telling me what to do? And he, he, he looked, and he said, you're not going to be able to support a family. You're going to college. And I trusted him. I didn't feel controlled. I didn't feel demanded upon. He looked at me and he said, he was saying, like, what I did to support our family, I'm worried you're not going to be able to do. So you're taking a different path that hasn't been taken before. So that's how I view God, right? And when he tells me or demands of me, I view it as a relational love. And then that absolutely translates into my my relationships with, with other people. So just, just you guys... Um, when, when Joey presses into my life, and he's like, you haven't thought of it this way. I don't receive that as an accusation. I receive that as a friend who loves me, has my best interests in mind, and is challenging my thinking, which is brotherly love between two Christ followers, two brothers in Christ who are sharpening and working each other. So I think it's a huge thing. Now, I think... I think, Bishop, you'll agree with what I said. There is an academic context to it, right? So the Bible has a structure. There is a Hebraic culture. 
Like you need to understand all those things to make all this make sense. Um, but you're, you're majoring on the minor when you when you major on that and you're missing the major, which is this relational aspect of who God is and how he wants us to love each other and him. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. In fact, I, I've got a, um, uh, you just went up about 10 paces in my, uh, in my uh, concept of what I think about you. You rose up. Um, I have a thing called um, relational theology. I didn't know anyone else had one. And I call mine koinoniology because one of the most uh, powerful New Testament words is koinonia that, that is, cannot be translated mm -hmm. into English um, because of the, uh, how large that concept is. But, but yeah, that's the reason why I coined it the way I did. Not not it's relationship centered, not reason centered. That doesn't mean that reason is not a part of it. Yeah. But reasoning is not the center of it. And what you make the center of it is 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 very powerful. But you said something else that I think was very powerful that we should include in some kind of way. Your relationship with your father. Yeah. Yeah. What I was talking about, how we view God as often connected to what kind of relationships we had when we were growing up. Relationships revolve around so many of these things. Yeah. They, did a, go... they did a go study year, years ago, and I'm not going to be able to cite it right now. It's been too long. But in the study, they said that the predominant way that a child interprets God is through the lens of their earthly father. Mm -hmm. So an absent father is an absent God. A harsh father is a harsh God. A loving, Christ-seeking father who brings structure and authority but love into your life is the, is the best picture of, of a loving God. And I, I was gifted, and I, didn't, I actually did not have an easy childhood. It's another story. Um, but I was gifted with a father that I knew loved me and I knew was proud of me. He didn't leave me a nickel, but he left me a fortune because I knew he loved me and he would tell me that. And I knew he was proud of me and he would tell me that. And it, it causes me to trust then the elders in my, the, the elders of my church, the older men in my life, it causes me to trust friends, et cetera, et cetera, because that's such an important picture. Yep. Yeah. Dr. Ark, I want to go over to you because Hey, I'm, I'm going to sit here and, and I think what Bishop and what, what Pastor Jeff said, I think is great, right? It's relationship, relational theology, all that stuff is great. My, my question to you, Dr. Hall, because you are an academic, if, if, if these two men who I admire and love and respect so much, who I think are just solid individuals when it comes to this relationship, why do we in the body of Christ have a, such a tough time being relational with each other? That's my perspective. Mm. Like we talk about relationship, but we don't really execute the relational aspect that I'm hearing right now. And from your perspective, why is that? Is that because of denominational differences? Is it a cultural difference? Like, where, where does some of this come from? My answer is yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 really tracking with uh, with this conversation, and and it strikes me that one of the ways one of the reasons is because we're just not taught or our communities aren't oriented in church. Uh, and I think uh, Pastor Jeff was was getting at that. I mean, when when we when we in a sense make Christianity primarily a a, a, a matter of, you know, these doctrines, these principles, these teachings, you know, doing things this way, devoid of relational uh, grounding, then we, we pretty much set ourselves up for um, not being able to talk or fellowship together with people who don't, uh, who don't share the same ideas, principles about what the Bible says, how the Bible says it, how we should live it out. So <clears throat> I was thinking as, as uh, Bishop and Pastor were talking, um, you know, the Bible itself uses predominantly the language of family to yeah. talk about who we are. I mean, so 
you know, brothers and sisters and all of that. And so there's a, there's a huge and powerful message that grounds all of the truth of the Bible into that relationality that sees each other as family, which means we need to see each other first as human beings. And some of us need to get there first, uh, but to see each other as family. And then, um, you know, moving from there, just to, to realize that, that scripture and our encounter with God uh, uh, is not simply a matter of believing the right things, doing the right things, but really is, is a matter of this having a, a, a deeply personal relationship with a loving God who models all of the virtues that, that Jeff was talking about. So that even when we read scripture, I mean, if we look at scripture as this kind of textbook and, and primarily um, a, a text that really tells us how to believe the right things, do the right things, and, and, and it does that. But when we ground our, our whole view of the Bible in that, um, we see God's revelation in terms of ideas and principles and content, and we miss the fact that the real content of revelation in scripture is God. Hmm. And that you know, scripture calls us every time we read it, talk about it, preach it, listen to it, engage with it into this, you know, we're not only encountering ideas, we're encountering the living God who reaches out to us and wants us to, to, to sh and wants to shape us and, and heal us and uh, through the Holy Spirit. The last thing I would just say, just as a tagline, circling back to the kind of an earlier place is that, um, you know, relational theology is not only, I think, profoundly biblical, but I would say is, um, is the mode of expression that is going to speak powerfully about Christianity as we move on uh, culturally and socially in, into this century. Because without getting into a lot of geeky detail, um, we have had centuries where um, where Western civilization has thought of truth in terms of ideas. Truth is in ideas and principles. And that's just the way we've, we've thought. It's the way we've been shaped. But where the culture is going now at a tectonic level, you know, where it's, it's in, been moving for decades, if not centuries, is toward a, a cultural understanding of truth that uh, is relational uh, rather than uh, in terms of ideas. Truth is in relationships. And the, the, the real quick example I can give of this is that uh, we can think of Sir Isaac Newson, Newton. I mean, the physicists are always kind of helping us in some powerful ways to, to think material about the material world in ways that uh, move us on. But you have Newtonian physics which is all about absolute principles and immutable laws and laws of physics and how they all put together. And that worked really well for centuries. And then you got some guy named Einstein who comes along and who says, no, um, light can be bent. Um, uh, truth, you know, is, is, is relational and relative in character. Time is not absolute. It's a function of, of two bodies interacting with each other in time and space relationally. So all to say that uh, where we're going in this whole idea of relational theology is where, the, is where the society is taking us. So it's not surprising to me at all that we're thinking in these directions. Let me, by the uh, way, Bishop, if you could move some of that light over in from your panel into my panel, I would be most appreciative. <laughs> let, let, me, let me just say a moment because I know Dr. Hawk um, much better than, than you two. Um, I don't want to sell him short because he has such academic brilliance and that's where he lives. Uh, but he also has pastored. So um, he, and, and then teaching students can be a form of pastoring depending upon how you want to approach it and how you want to deal with it. So I just don't want to sell, sell him shorter than that. But I want to give a quick example of what he's talking about, about how I see it. Um, I've been doing some work because I've got something coming up on marriage. And um, 
I look at the term uh, uh, covenant, and as we read the Bible, we get read the word covenant, and, I, and I'll look it up, and I mean, people just go off. I mean, the covenant is this, it's that, it's the other, but here's the thing I notice a lot. They never mention which covenant. And most of the time, you check me out, it's the marriage covenant. It's a relational covenant, not some legal covenant that they think. And then when you come back and you talk about marriage as a contract or marriage as a covenant, now we're really confused. Because what is a relational covenant in the Bible? It's not relational to us, it's legal. America deals with jurisprudence, legality, rationality, thinking. That's just who we are. And once again, I, I'm not putting that down. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it doesn't have its proper context. But we are dealing with the Bible and God that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Not that I might know about him. Not that I might know all that the Bible says. Not that I might know a bunch of facts. That I might know him in the power of his resurrection. So, so do we have, I think in Christendom, do we have a relational mindset or not? I mean, I, I know sitting here and talking to you all, I can say yes, that we do. When we start looking over the canvas and the broadness of us, are, are we more relational or are we not more relational? Where, where are we kind of tipping and how is this intersecting with us in our relationships, right? And we kind of do this with one another. I think I think what happens, and, and this is my experience. Um, I think my experience in the church and in Christendom is I have a relational, um, I have a relational view that is dutiful instead of passionate. Mm. So I I need to serve people. I need to pray with them. I need to have accountability. I need to, um, I, I, you know, et cetera. That's different. Like it, that, if you, you put that in the context of marriage, like I need to go home. I need to say three nice things to my wife. You have a very dead and cold relationship. That's different than passionate. And, and when we, when we talked to, as we've talked about uh, racial things, for instance, it's different for me to say um, it is wrong that there is racism in the church and that racial injustice thing is something mm. that's very different than my friend is hurting and I'm going to be by his side. Mm. And I actually don't know what to say or what to do, but I'm not going to let my friend go through this pain alone. Or when my, when my African-American friend told me what it was like to drive while black and I never knew that. I, I'm going. I'm going to feel that and empathize about that, and and think to myself, if my child was treated like his child was, what? See, it's, it's very different. And and so that is that's what I see a lot. Like it's dutiful. And I to to people's defense, I think they're trying to follow God. You know, that's why they're doing those things. I want to like give them the benefit of the doubt. But we're not translating that into a love where I, I love my brother and uh, I love my wife. I even I love Jesus and love. The reason we don't do that is because it's really hard to write a book about it. It's really hard to have a <laughs> curriculum. It's really hard to turn it into a to do list. The spirit of God has to transform me. For me to love an enemy or love a, even a stranger, which is, uh, we've talked about this a lot, is a big part of the problem racially within our churches. We don't know each other. So like, I recognize that group of people over there. I don't know them. I don't love them. It's different. So I think, that, I think somewhere in there is where it has shown up the way that it's shown up. And I think honestly, I think a lot of this is the as a pastor's responsibility. I think people in church often will do what they're taught and they'll do what they're taught sincerely. It's the shepherds 
who who have to think differently and I think have to start leading this this change. And I think we have to have some responsibility about that. That's probably a rabbit trail, but I'll, so I'll stop. But I think that's part of where we're at with it. I don't think it's a rabbit trail. I think it's very good. I mean, you're hitting some things on the head. Yeah. Um, I won't be as nice as you. No, I don't think we have that. <laughs> um, and let me tell you why. Because I don't think we understand the power of culture and how mm-hmm. culture trumps policy, procedure, church. It trumps all of that. So I usually, when I do start talking about culture, I take into the pulpit several um, uh, pairs of glasses of different colors, trying to help people understand that when I change these lenses, well, I'm looking at the same thing, but I can't see it clearly because those lenses are distorting or coloring whatever I see. American culture is so powerful and we all are a part of it that it makes it difficult to interpret and apply Hebrew truisms and relational truths when we are looking at them through American eyes. It's just, it's almost impossible. So we have to, this is the reason I do that. People are like, well, I don't wanna talk about culture. I, I went, you don't have to wanna talk about it because it doesn't matter. Culture is trumping a lot of the things that we're dealing with culture. So I need to go back and become aware of and attempt to be sensitive to the culture in which the Bible was written, if I want to understand it. And then I can get to the love. Well, and I would just, I love what both of you guys are saying. I would just piggyback on that last uh, sentence, Bishop, that we also need to be very clear about um, our own culture. We, we need to understand our culture and, and realize the way that it's shaped our thinking is shaping our thinking. And, and that takes just as much exegetical energy as it does to, to plumb the depths of scripture. We are pastors, preachers, teachers, academicians. You can go into the Bible and study and come up with all kinds of stuff just to, just to affirm your point. Can you apply it? effectively to the culture yeah you might you Mm -hmm. might understand what the bible is saying but can you get it to the culture i don't think that's our primary problem that's a big one i think the primary problem is i don't even know what the bible's saying (laughs) because i'm reading it through american eyes real quick woman at the well you have uh, you've had five husbands and the husband you have is not your husband American culture. She is a woman who is a prostitute. That's the only way that she's been divorcing husband. Hebrew culture. At that time, she didn't have the power to divorce the husband. That changes the whole context. I've got to look at her completely different. But without that context, then I'm able to impress and impose upon the text what I think it means from an American perspective. And, and I think to, to circle back a little bit, this is the balance between academia and relationships. Like you you have to, you said it earlier, uh, Joey, the, the, I don't know the Bible, so I can't understand the love. I, I have to do that work so that I can, I can, um, understand Jesus's heart and his statement and his response to her, or I'm just, I'm just filling in my own, my own blanks. I also think as you guys were talking about this, I thought this is, I've said several times, like as a pastor, um, so I, I preach four times a weekend, every weekend. So I've done four lifetimes of preaching <laughs> um, in, in my uh, ministry. Um, I think I could preach on John 3, 16 and 17 every single week and never fully expose the depth of God's love and the power of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And and the... the be, I can expose all the academic stuff in 10 minutes, but if we want to go there, like go there. So like this, 
the our cultural idea of celebrity pastoring, our cultural idea. I, I used to say that people didn't come to church to find God. They came to church because they have problems. I've changed that statement. And I've, I now I say people don't come to church to find God. They come to church to be agreed with. I want God to affirm everything that I think. And I want God to support everything I believe. Well, what happens is you're not allowing the depth of the gospel. This is why you cannot love God and hate your brother. The gospel won't allow that. If you're receiving it, it's going to intrude on, on those things. That stuff is not preachable. It is, it is disciple, you disciple it. And so the idea that I'm going to come and sit in church and, and, you know, at my church, you're going to get 45 minutes at Bishop. You're just going to get till he's done. Right. But, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to sit in church and the pastor's going to going to inform me. And that's going to cause my spiritual, that's got nothing to do. Now it's not invaluable. It's just, that's not what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and all those kind of things. So all of those constructs and, and all of that, expectation is, is part of our culture and then i love what you were saying that the the my culture like i i've been i've been wrestling a lot with generational change lately i'm just of the age that i'm yeah. like i gotta think of and i'm i've been wrestling a lot with what makes my blood pressure go up so when i'm like like somebody will say something who's younger than i am like, and and i'm i instead of mouthing off or being defensive about it i've been asking myself the question like why does that make your blood pressure go up and is there any gospel value to it mm -hmm. are, are you reacting to something you like or want or are used to or 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 are you reacting to a mis misrepresentation of the gospel and what i find is i don't know i'll make a number up 75 percent of the time i'm reacting to me <laughs> I'm reacting like some to something I like or don't like. I'm not reacting to the gospel. And it's been it's been a life-changing little exercise to, to to work down that path because I have to let the gospel dominate my own personal culture. It's a difficult thing, but I think that's just what discipleship is yeah. and what following Jesus is. The renewing of the mind. And, and that, that requires a great deal of openness, I think, and courage um, on our part. Um, well, let me swing back here just for a minute, um, just to speak to, to I, I just can't, can't resist to speak to uh, the, the bishop's um, illustration about the woman at the well and, and culture, just to, to illustrate how this works. So I, I was in a, 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 an introductory Bible course um, Kind of teaching the basic, you know, here's how here are the basic principles of exegesis, and we were we were talking about the woman at the well, John four, and uh, there were three students in that class from West Africa, and we were talking about the story and kind of the issues that it raised, and they understood immediately. It was obvious to them what the issue was with this woman, and that was that um, she she had not been able to have children. And so the husbands were divorcing her and then she was finding someone else and she couldn't have children by that man and so on. And she went through this five times and their whole approach to that story was different because they said, the issue here is this is the village who is, who is at fault, who is in a sense, the sinner. They are not yeah. taking care of this woman. They are not finding a place for her. And immediately, I'm confronted with my own cultural lens and the way that we interpret, interpret that text through just this uh, highly sexualized culture that we live in. So that's why, again, not only is it important, I think, to an illustration of, of how our lenses determine our interpretations more than we realize, but why we need to listen to people who, who inhabit different spaces and locations and life situations, and not believe that our answer is, is, is the right one or the best one necessarily.
Dr. Hawk, you hit that nail on the head so hard, I think you drove it through the board. <laughs> I, I took I, notes. Monday, <laughs> Monday night, Monday night, I did a Bible study. They wanted uh, one of my groups wanted me to come on and to teach us about Bible study. Mm. How do we study the Bible? And what I said and my subject was so profound, they're still talking about it. Why? Because of the culture. Here we go again. So they thought I was going to get in there and say, well, what, you need to figure out how to do exegesis. You need to figure out how to do that. You need to look, be able to look up words. You know, and my, my title was, the most important ingredient in Bible study is you. Mm. And you need to understand that if the Bible study is not about what you're going to do to the Bible, it's about what the Bible is supposed to be doing to you. Amen. It's about openness. It is about heart. It is about transformation. It is about letting it divide between the joint and the marrow, the intents and the thoughts of the heart. It is about transform. It isn't about you going into the Bible and exegeting words and coming out with the truth. It's about you interacting with the person of God and him changing who you are. Oh, that was a great class mm -hmm. because that we can't even, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and I want to get ugly about it, Pastor Kemp, and we need to, you write down notes, we need to do some more about culture. <laughs> we can't even begin to understand the text if we can't look at it from the culture in which it was written. And America doesn't want to do that by and large. We are doing historical grammatical exegesis. We're looking at the history. We're looking at the grammar. We're looking it all up. And I'm not saying that's bad, but it's incomplete. Without the context, I don't know what you're talking about. One quick example. So every 4th of July, there's a lady in my church who used to come to me and she'd, other people would be standing around and she would just say, you know, are we going to queue? And everybody would be looking like, queue? What is she talking about? What it, well, she did, they didn't understand because they don't have African-American culture. She's asking me, are we going to barbecue? <laughs> okay, now, I don't no, no other words need to be said because culture handles it all. When I talk to people of other cultures, they don't understand because they have cookouts and they think a cookout is a barbecue. It is not. A cookout is hot dogs, hamburgers on a little grill with some charcoal in there. A barbecue is a half of an oil can cut in half and so put together and welded together with ribs and potato salad. And, and I don't have to say that. I don't, all I have, all she says is, are we going to cue? That's it. Well, a lot of times the Bible does that and we don't get it. It just says, woman at the well. And she was there about noon. Okay, that's a tip off. Something's going on. Something's happening there. But if I'm not of the culture, I can't pick it up. Now, let's, let's tie that to what we're talking about. If you're not of African-American culture, unless you can get into my world, you don't know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay. It'll help somebody. We say, well, what about white folk? You're not in our world. We live in your world. Mm -hmm. The whole world is white. We live in it. We grow up in it. We go to school in it. But you don't go to school in our world. And that means it makes it very difficult for us to, to trend, to, to communicate back and forth, as Pastor Jeff said, with passion. Mm -hmm. You can read up on it. And like we do, you can go in the Bible and read up and say barbecue. Oh, barbecue, a thing that African-Americans have at their homes uh, when they, uh, but I said, I don't, I didn't ask to invite you to come my home. I invited you to the crib. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, that's, this is a fascinating thing that you're talking about, Joey, because um, African-Americans can transition and interpret white culture when they need to because they grew up. But, so it, it, but that's why, like, the white, white people are like, 
um, and I mean this respectfully, but it's like, you guys act different when you're together. You're like, right, because we're just preferring each other and you're just used to us deferring to you, <laughs> you know? So I I really think that when you said like, um, like in a, in a racial context, a white brother doesn't necessarily understand all that's going on around him I think you don't have to. I think you have to have the humility to ask and to learn. I, I don't I don't think that my African American brothers are saying you need to start out because I think that would be insulting and patronizing if I started trying to act the way I thought you acted. But I think looking at you and saying, what does Q mean? And like, and then receiving that definition and and probably with a friend we're laughing about it then like oh <laughs> and then you're probably teasing me about you thought you were going to put hamburgers and hot dogs on and call <laughs> i just i just think some i think humility just goes a long way i also think like a loving honesty like i don't understand what's happening right now 99% of the time i know in my experience when i do that and it's it's not just racially or culturally it's also generationally when i when i'm like i don't understand what's happening somebody will lovingly tell me and then i have to be willing to probably be the butt of a joke for a second like yeah because old people are like yeah, yeah, yeah but it just changes everything be, because it's not combative so, somehow we have turned that into i'm older you're younger you're dumb I'm white, you're black, I'm right, you're wrong. Like, I'm like that nothing about that is in the body of Christ. Um, and just those simple little questions and a little shot of humility, I just think goes a long, a long, long way with I agree. In fact, I'm this is why I use the word and I'm going to use it again because I think it's very powerful. You call it humility, that's a good word. I call it respect. Okay. I'm never going to become Hebrew. Because some people are like, well, Bishop, you study, you look at the culture, you get, I don't care if I drink the Bible. I can't become Hebrew in culture. But I can respect the Hebrew culture. Yeah. We're not, I'm not expecting white folks to become black. I'm just expecting them to respect our culture and who we are as we give that same respect. Right. So uh, what I want to do right now is I'm, I want to get ready to wrap us up because, man, this has been so rich. What I want to tell our audience and what I want to tell um, my, my brothers here is that we're going to continue in this relationality, but there's different branches within the relationality we want to talk about, as Bishop said, even with culture. So we want to be very, we want to have an intentionality about us intersecting this year. We want to be very intentional because Again, and, and I love all the points that are brought up because all these points intersect with other points, right? And guess what? We're all sitting here. We're all smiling. We all love each other. Um, nobody's, I hope nobody's offended. I don't believe nobody is offended. But man, we can do this when we're intentional about how we intersect with one another. And that intersecting is not only from a standpoint of race, but it is culture. It is how do we intersect biblically? right, with one another as it relates to the Bible from a relational context and not just an academic one. So, man, the intersection this year is going into many different chasms and streets. So we're, we're on the street today, if you will, of the Relationality Avenue. And so as we continue to build this year, there are going to be other avenues, boulevards, and streets that we're going to ride down, and we want you to join us as we ride down this together and we all grow because what Pastor Jeff Bogue said, and I'm going to hold these men accountable. They're all pastors. So they're going to pastor us this year on how to be more relational with one another and understand each other from a cultural perspective and respect each other's culture. So before we get off, each one of you, give me one word for your year this year. Just one word. Come on, man. It's, it's 2023. Respect. 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 Respect one another. And somebody would say, well, why don't you say, why don't say love one another? That's just too big of a leap right now. How, how about we just respect one another? 
and we can move towards love and other things. Amen. What you have there, Pastor Jeff? What's your word this year? You know, I I, I think my word is curiosity. I, I, I think I think instead of being defensive or combative, a few questions and some cur- and some conversations, you might be surprised what you find out and what you wind up enjoying. You know, so that maybe that's my word for the year. All right. Dr. Hall. My word is hopeful. Hmm. Uh, we are people who are moved forward and shaped and defined by a profound hope that in the end, uh, God is working through and around and with all of us more powerfully than we are aware hmm. to bring us to a place of peace and blessing and justice and family. Man, that's great. And you heard it here. My, my word for Powerful. this year is, I, I wanna be unapologetic hmm. about who God <laughs> has called me to be, the, the skill set, the gifting, the talents that he's given me. I wanna be unapologetic about it so I can lift him up. And I don't wanna walk in the ego of edging God out, but the ego of exalting God only. So I wanna be unapologetic in that walk. So. Thank you so much for, again, tuning in with us here in this episode of The Intersection. Again, the, the avenue we was on today was relationality, and that's going to be an avenue that we continue to travel down, and maybe that's the highway. Off the highway are going to be the other streets and boulevards that we go down in the course of 2023. Again, thank you, Bishop Johnson, Pastor Jeff, and also Dr. Hart for your time today. Love you, love you, love you, and hey, just remember... Hey, we are here. If you have any questions for us, just reach out to us and you can email us at intersection at loveakron.com. That's intersection at loveakron.com. And please follow us, all your um, podcast platforms. Um, we're going to be sending out even the other podcasts this year. We're going to be reintroducing those. So you'll have two, at least two podcasts a month of the intersection that you can listen on in 2023. Thank you again for being with us. And let's go be great together. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of The Intersection, where we look at how everything intersects and brings us all back to Jesus. You can subscribe and follow us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. You can reach out to us with questions or comments at intersection at loveakron.com. That's intersection at loveakron.com. And we'll see you next time at The Intersection.